Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 97. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast about Metallica featuring interviews about Metallica. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downing, and my guest this episode is Jorn Karstad, frontman for Bokasa. He tells me the behind-the-scenes story about Metallica's support of his band, including the 2019 World Wired Tour. As Lars himself said, Bokasa are incredibly good. The songs they write, their whole energy and vibe is such a breath of fresh air. When I heard their music, they blew my head off. Remember, you can follow Speak and Destroy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. So here it is. My conversation with Jorn Karstad of Bokasa. This is Speak and Destroy. So yeah, so the, as I told you when we corresponded, the origin point for this podcast was, was basically, you know, Metallica is my favorite band of all time. And I found myself as a human and as someone who works in the music industry and as a journalist, just the, the band constantly comes up in conversation. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it's because I'm introducing it into the conversation. Other times it's happening organically, but it seems like you know, for people, even if they've dropped off from the fandom at different points in their life, everyone pays attention. Everybody always knows what the band is sort of up to when there's a record, everyone has an opinion. It just seems like a really sort of unifying cultural force uh, through rock and metal and punk and, you know, across all genres, really. So, yeah, so I thought it would be cool as a workaholic to turn turn it into something productive since it was happening anyway and start connecting the dots with with people who have uh, played with the band worked for the band influenced them been influenced by them and you know all across the spectrum so it's been really fun uh since doing that and and people love the band so much that uh it's it's pretty easy to get people to say yes (laughs) to come and be on (laughs) so and what's interesting is when i started this in 2016 there were no metallica podcasts and uh, I believe there are 11 now. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, uh, apparently it was, a, you know, a ripe idea, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your uh, personal sort of history in terms of discovering music. And at what point you realized music wasn't just something you loved, but it was something you needed to participate in, that you needed to like be part of it uh well i have like uh really like good memories of discovering both uh, aerosmith and uh, and guns and roses mm. at an early age uh aerosmith was the get a grip album and i i kind of um saw that living on the edge video on tv mm-hmm. and i just thought it sounded awesome and i thought the video was like really cool, you know, with Steven Taylor and, and the makeup and stuff. So I remember going to local record stores and because I hadn't really gotten the name right, I thought they, they were called like Euro, Euro Sports <laughs> or something like that. So I was just around asking like several places until like one guy said, do you mean Eurosmith, Aerosmith? I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's, that got me into Aerosmith. And then like an um, older brother of this kid in my class, he said like, you'll like Guns N' Roses and he lent me Use Your Illusion 2 on CD which I copied on cassette and then it was like yeah this music is for me and a couple of years after that I discovered like you know 
uh, punk rock, kind of like Bad Religion, No Effects and stuff. And then I was just, yeah, that 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 I'm actually able to play as well, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. That That's one of the great things about punk and hardcore is that it's sort of a great unifier in that it's accessible, you know, and, and there's less of a distinction between the band and the audience, you know, where there's this idea of like, oh, this could be you. Um, mm -hmm. le learn these chords, you know, these guys are dressed like you, they look like you, you know, it's, we're interchangeable with one another. And I always think that that's one of the most special things about that whole community. And then eventually it's like, if you want to, you know, become, uh, you know, John Petrucci or Ingve Malmsteen or something like <laughs> that's that's there, but yeah. I just but I love that that exists uh, just to even get people, you know, it just makes it so accessible. Mm, cool. Absolutely, yeah, it's kind of like hip hop in that way where it was like, okay, we don't we don't even have instruments, so we're gonna take our mom's record player and put her old soul records on it and start rhyming over it. You know, it's like I yeah, love that yeah. idea of just. Um, you know, creating with whatever tools are at your disposal. Um, I know that, you know, from being friends uh, with some folks from Norway, from having uh, other Norwegians on the podcast and just sort of Scandinavia in general, uh, you know, I remember getting to know the guys in, in, in flames like 20 plus years ago. And it was the first time that I heard, like, you know, we were talking about just their band starting and everything. And, and, uh, that whole movement of, you know, new wave of Swedish death metal. And, and one of them mentioned something about school and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And our bands like formed in school. And I was like, Oh, did you guys get together and like practice like after school? And they were like, no, no, no. Like in school, like we had right. classes where we did band and we like formed our death metal bands in school. And that was my first exposure as an American and, you know, growing up in Indiana where I'm, where I'm from originally, that's such a, literally and figuratively foreign concept the idea that music would be you know aside from like a semester of, of playing uh you know brass or wood instruments um learning that's in scandinavia like you know you can play in a metal band yeah <laughs> in school yeah it's in it's in uh, it's like uh, at least in elementary school it's like uh it's one of the classes that we we didn't have band i remember but they had like a music room and I remember that we all had to play like percussive instrument and triangles and but they had like this uh Gibson less it wasn't like it wasn't a Gibson but like a Les Paul copy and I was always like can we play that no 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 because we had to follow like notes from like some classical music and play triangles but that Les Paul was always on the wall it's you know so that seems much much more fun what the Inflames guys were doing than, than in Norway <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so uh I mean you hear in the music industry a lot about like music education and the importance of it but you know i think uh european bands especially really sort of um demonstrate like how the truth of that you know like yeah like give kids instruments yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> it makes the world a better place on multiple levels um so at what point then did metallica enter into the equation for you um it was probably, I was probably, say I was 14, 15. Uh, I'd of course heard of Metallica, you know, and probably unknowingly heard like Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters. But but what really got me like into the band was that I bought Reload, mm. uh, like at a, a thrift shop, I believe it's called. Um, and then uh, I really dug that record. And then I started, you know, going back and uh, after that i think i bought injustice for all and then and then the master pop is then you know uh i kind of was up to speed to uh, on the band uh, but that I, I guess that's why uh reload has always been my favorite metallica record but also I, i'm kind of inclined to liking that you know they had like more like stoner grooves and more like southern mm -hmm. licks yeah. on those uh, both load and reload and and, and i like that you know because i'm a big fan of Clutch and Fu Manchu and, and that kind of sound anyway, anyways and also like Guns N' Roses have the, the rock riffs mm -hmm. which were at, at Reload which, which doesn't mean I, I don't like the other albums but like Reload that's that's my my Metallica album <laughs> I think that's killer and, and and this comes up in conversation in the podcast a lot because there's a generational thing where you know a lot of us still think of the Load era as new Metallica 
but then you sit down and you do the math and you're like, that was over 20 years ago, (laughs) you know, like, um, which is just wild. Like, yeah, there, there are people who were born when load came out who are like, you know, what 2021 now. Um, and so I love, and it's one of the things that I think makes the band so worthy of conversation is that there are so many points along the pathway where you can be introduced and then they have such a rich catalog in history that, that you can then reverse engineer and go backwards and Mm. cover all the records, you know? Um, yeah, for me, my entry point was the garage days EP, which it's like everybody has their own unique story, right? And it's like mine's unique in that the first Metallica songs I fell in love with were all cover songs, <laughs> you know. And then, and then you know, getting Master of Puppets and and going back and getting the catalog and uh, you know and all that. But yeah, I'm a big Load Reload defender, which was um, a bit of a lonely uh, battle to fight in, yeah, in battle imagine. circles at one yeah. at, at one time. And it's nice to see both generationally. Uh, you know, I talk to people all the time, like yourself, that discovered the band in that era and have a lot of love for it and also yeah i, th- I think it's strange that that yeah. that that album has so much uh hate that you can still see it in comments like if ever you know like metal hammer kerrang does like a piece on it you know all over instagram or facebook people just hate that record uh, at least people who who care to comment you know but, uh, yeah it's strange to me <laughs> yeah which is of course a big thing about internet culture right where it's like you know to borrow a phrase from the black album that the empty can rattles the most you know it's like the yeah. people who have the people who have nice things to say tend to be busy doing something else yeah absolutely <laughs> but yeah and you know i think you make a really great point about you know clutch fu manchu those sort of bands who are revered uh and respected uh so much in critical circles you know i've, I've had it said to me that had load and reload come out with a different band name or you know different album covers different different band photos whatever that yeah people who uh you know worship goat snake and <laughs> all these mm. all these bands would like love those records you know because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, there's a lot of corrosion of conformity like later corrosion of conformity there's mm. in lizzie there's i, I think a lot of owls and chains in those records um and yet through the the prism of of metallica and their identity that they had already created you know because like even a song like like hero of the day which is a ballad um mm. that last section of it could be on ride the lightning <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah. it's just a lot of it's window dressing i think that uh was the hang-up for for some people yeah I, th- I think people were just like it seems to me and still are just hung up with the fact that they cut their hair yeah you know which is insane <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's funny because really I, I remember having arguments with with people around the time of of those records, and whenever that would come up, nine times out of ten, the friend I was talking to, I would say, "Well, you cut your hair." <laughs> <laughs> like it would always be someone who was, you know, a long hair in high school and was yeah, yeah, yeah. now like a, a normie and was complaining about Metallica cutting their hair. I'm like, "You cut yours? Like they're yeah. they're supposed to stay frozen in in amber?" Is exactly the way you discovered them while you're allowed to move on in your life and grow and change. Um, yeah. yeah, I found that hilarious. But yeah, and I, I say this on the podcast a lot. So uh, with apology to regular listeners who might be tired of hearing it, but Outlaw Torn is a top 10 Metallica song for me. Um, Bleeding Me. Uh, there, are, there are songs I have kind of my go-tos uh, for, for folks who dismiss those records at the time and maybe never went to revisit them i always have my tracks where i'm like well, go listen to these songs and yeah, yeah. Um, do you have some go-tos like that from from reload when someone tells you yeah oh, i, th- I think suck. the best song is, is fixer and, oh right. uh, yeah i like that song. And, and i always bring that if i'm gonna like defend that album and i'm like have you heard fixer and then when people listen they're like oh shit yeah that's good <laughs> right yeah. and isn't that always kind of surprising too when 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 you see people surprised it's like, oh, you yeah. thought I thought you had this strong opinion about this, and yeah. now, now you're because you haven't really heard it, right? It's like yeah. you've heard fuel or something like that, and then you yeah. made up your mind. And, and, and I dig, yeah. I dig fuel as well. Not that, but you know, you know what I appreciate about fuel? I, it wasn't one of my favorite songs, uh, like contemporaneously to it coming out. But having seen the band live so many times, I really enjoy it live, particularly because it adds some 
dynamics to the set you know mm. just it, it when that comes in and sandwiched in between other songs it's like a really um you know a shift in in the proceedings which when you have a band playing two and a half hours you, you need that yeah absolutely you know? um, and also just yeah. such a great opener for an album i think yeah yeah it is um it, it's funny because like like we were talking about, I feel like there's there are so many folks who think that they know what those records were, and it's based on um, uh, you know a passing a passing glance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting that you know because coming off the back of something like the Black Album, biggest selling record of the SoundScan era, one of the biggest albums of all time, I think in, in hard rock records. That's why I was actually just looking at this yesterday. It's number seven in the U.S. of all time. You know, it goes back in black, Zep 14, Pink Floyd the Wall, Appetite, Boston, if we're going to count Boston as hard rock, uh, <laughs> physical graffiti, and then the black album. Um, mm. ab- ab- above Dark Side of the Moon and Pearl Jam and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Linkin Park and Aerosmith and all this stuff. So coming off of that, it, it's like anything is going to be measured uh, like through uh, impossible metrics right because you get Mm. one of those records maybe you know it's like you don't come out of uh green day dookie and have another green day dookie like it's just those (laughs) you know once in a lifetime things but i think something that maybe a lot of folks don't realize is that um between the two of them if you count load and reload as a single record which it was originally conceived as you know that's like 10 million copies in the u.s uh, mm. compared to the black album 16 million it, it's you know it's still those would be hugely successful records had they not been preceded by a phenomenon <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know like, absolutely so it's interesting because you, you i find myself in some conversations sometimes where people think that the band uh you know struggled commercially post black album with, with those records and it's like no they were yeah, they were, were just fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> saint anger sold like two million copies like they're yeah. you know they've been fine yeah uh so as you got to know the catalog and, and all of that stuff where did your fandom kind of line up with uh getting in bands and stuff yourself as you were as you started playing shows and making music with friends and and things like that like where was that in your trajectory? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, uh, well, in terms of, uh, you know, um, discovering Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and punk stuff and then Reload and where in there are you uh, starting to play in bands yourself? Uh, I think we, we, we probably like had, had bands uh, at an early age, you know, just trying to play something, some stuff uh, here and there, but you know, never really lasted. And then, as I maybe like when 15, 16, we started to like um, connect with people outside where I'm from, and then started some bands with them and played some shows and, and stuff like that. So that's when probably around there. Uh, when it when it started to be like you rehearse regularly every week and stuff like that you know yeah um so did you have an opportunity around that time to see metallica live i actually saw metallica in uh, in the saint anger tour Mm, nice Uh, yeah it was in, in denmark um, and I remember it because uh, like we had seen like, um, what's it called? Cun- Cunning Stunts, I think, mm-hmm. the live DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, really ready for James Hetfield to call everybody a motherfucker and stuff like that. But then he said from the States that he wasn't swearing anymore because uh, I, probably something like with therapy or something like yeah. that. So, uh, I just always find, found that peculiar. But, yeah, uh, it was a good show. Yeah, starts talking about the Metallica family and Metallica loves you and all. I, I, and I, I mean, I love that that positive energy. But yeah, it's interesting. You know what's funny about cunning stunts is that you couldn't really get away with that now. <laughs> you know the whole no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the whole uh, 
practical joke or prank or whatever you want to call it that they played on the audience because now they would they would do that once and then the whole world would know about it yeah, yeah, yeah. social media and whatnot um but Absolutely. back then it was still really special and and you could expect journalists to keep the secret and yeah. no one's spreading <laughs> it around online and so then you could still be surprised and think that something was actually going wrong um so let's talk about uh you know and obviously this is uh skipping upwards um a few years from there but uh let's talk about divide and conquer and you know that being obviously a, a big moment in your life and in the career of the band and uh you know debut album and, and so forth um looking back on that a few years on what stands out to you the most about that time period um like you mean the recording of the album or just like... uh, well it, it just sort of the everything surrounding it the recording release the reception like when you well, think of when you think about that record today like what are the things that that come to mind first uh, i think um I think it was. I think of that record really fond uh, because uh, what I what I probably what I think of is is that we didn't have a clue what we're doing, like uh, in the studio and everything and promotion and and label wise we just we just had an album we wanted to record it and then we're really fucking proud of that album there and there and 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 uh, <laughs> we didn't have any label or. Or anything or we didn't have any clue how to do things we just like this is a fucking great record and then we're like how how can we you know reach people to listen to it mm -hmm. I, I remember that that we were like hmm. and then we, 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 we really we like uh, emailed and contacted like clubs and places and we got some gigs and we're really happy with that you know and then around because Divide and Conquer was released in March and around December that year because I remember Metal Hammer gave it like 8 out of 10 so we were like oh shit it was reviewed in Metal Hammer so we were like fucking stoked about that the whole year and then in December yeah. it, it made like a list they had of, um, of like um, yeah the 11 best debut albums of 2017 so we were like oh shit and like the day after that happened then we got like a offer from a big Norwegian festival. So we're like, oh, sh then, then it, we felt like it, like uh, almost a year later, it started to roll. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, and, and, that, so, and that's what, and that's, what's cool about that sort of debut album. You know, you only get to do the first album once, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and experiencing all those things. And uh, for folks who might be new to the band, um, and I'm sure I've, I've talked about this in the, in the intro to this episode, but it wasn't, you know, it was the following year, I guess, 2018, when Lars played you guys on his, uh, it's electric show, his uh, Beats One radio show, and declared you his favorite new band. Yeah. And, uh, and really yeah. talked up Divide and Conquer in particular, and the music video for the song No Control. Uh, how did you first hear about that? And what was the attitude like within the band's camp when that <laughs> when that hit you? I remember that. Uh, I remember that. Uh, um, what's, the, what's the word? I remember that well because um, I, I was. I think it was a Sunday Sunday evening, and I think we we're about to watch Game of Thrones, and we had like <laughs> a Twitter account, you know, like a Bukasa band that we just had, you know, we still do, but we, you know, we thought okay probably be on twitter too but we never used it and then we got like a notification and it was like uh lost ulrich just mentioned you in a post or something I'm like i was like what the fuck lost ulrich and I, I thought like initially i just thought it's probably like just like a guy who calls himself like you know lars ulrich uh, on twitter uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah something like that so it's, it's probably just like a random guy and then i went in i was like verified i was like shit this is lars ulrich from Metallica. <laughs> And it was like, uh, wrote something like he's going to play these bands on his show. Uh, and so I immediately wrote the other guys. I was like, uh, <laughs> Lars Ulrich just mentioned us uh, on, on Twitter. And the, our drummer, Olav, texted back like, uh, it's probably a mistake. Best not to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't say anything about it. Yeah. 
don't don't write anything. So, so we it, it was uh, a typo. He was trying to write some other band name. Yeah, yeah. so some, some <laughs> random other band. So, but we didn't do anything about it. We just waited till the show started at midnight Norwegian time, and like we thought, yeah, maybe he will maybe play we'll us, hear like, the then, song. Yeah, which yeah. that enough that that alone is like amazing. But yeah, yeah that would be then. like our whole year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know the jingle comes on, and then. I hear just the opening riff of last night and it's the first song and I was like, Jesus Christ. And then like we're texting back and forth and you guys listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's playing us. And then when he comes out of the track, we were like, that was just insane what he said. You know, we yeah. thought maybe he, he would probably say like, Bukasa last night was a real massacre and then start the show. It was like, yeah. they talked about us for like a couple of minutes. We were like, yeah. <sighs> glowing praise and and you know and what's great one of the great things about him in general is, is what a, a fan he is what a connoisseur and expert you know going all the way back to to being a teenager and being the guy that had the big record collection that you know Hetfield and and a lot of the people in the, in the orbit of that early scene you know relied upon Lars to discover new things and of course you know him famously uh, following Motorhead around and and crashing with the guys from Diamond Head and doing all this stuff, you know, pre-Metallica, like, and then the way that that's carried on, the way that they are always introducing their audience to new bands that that they're discovering and excited about, and so much they pay attention, you know. Uh, I used to manage the band Dillinger Escape Plan, and that's another band that you know Lars had championed in different ways, and uh, you know had. Uh, they were they did one of the metallica orion music festivals and it just it it, it requires so little in a sense from someone of Lars's stature to shine a light on a band and then in exchange it that little bit of light does so much for a band <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like it just uh you know it might it might be 10 minutes out of his day but then it's just like boom on, on some level for for those bands to get that cosign you know yeah yeah absolutely because like you never expect uh, like something like that from like uh, um, musicians of that stature you know like you don't i don't think I never think about like big big um, rock stars to that necessarily follow everything goes around and if they do you know i I never even thought that they like cared enough yeah. but he is like really compassionate about music and new music he is like he knows the shit man <laughs> it's yeah. like he is in like every genre of rock and also like pop and hip-hop he, he's like he's he just loves oh music. yeah yeah and film i'm also i'm also a big uh film guy and he's like a cinephile and art <laughs> there's like all these different yeah. creative things that, that the guy just is you know like expert level on it's just yeah really cool so where does it go for bugasa from there um you know in terms of this uh what eventually becomes a, a relationship with metallica to the extent that you were touring with them and all of that what 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 was the what was the bridge behind the scenes from he's played you on the show he said you're his new favorite band it, and i think for people listening they, they probably don't realize that even when something like that happens there are still so many moving parts that have to align and come together for that to turn into playing a show, <laughs> let alone yeah, yeah, yeah. a tour. Um, so yeah, so what, what happens behind the scenes there um, in between, you know, you learning that he is aware of the band and loves the band and that leading to things? Well, um, we like, uh, yeah, we heard the show and then like the next day, I think it went viral and uh, I came into work and everybody was like, what the fuck, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, yeah. and we kind of just uh, uh, rode high on that wave for a while and didn't like uh, think about it more than that. We, of course, got some more offers for festivals after that, uh, which we, of course, said yes to. And then we were yeah. like, yeah, nice. We got a good boost from this. And then um, I remember... Uh, maybe a couple months later or something like that. Uh, I remember it really well because I had just bought Far, Far Cry 5 and I was just about to sit down 
and just start the game. And I love Far Cry. So I was just really ready for that uh, and just played the whole weekend. And then we got a message on Twitter from Lars Ulrich, like a direct message. And it was like... <laughs> just, <laughs> it was like just, just just climbing in your DMs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. And it was like, uh, hey, fellas, uh, we're going to do a show in, in Oslo. And um, I don't know. I rem- maybe it was like in a week notice or something like that or some days and and it was like we love if you guys will come down and, and say hi and see us and we were like <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> oh let me check my calendar i think i might yeah. be busy <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, pretty great we came down there and and uh, you know we had uh, got some contact info uh, to his assistant I think we should text her when we're there or something like that and we met them when we got these really nice laminates and then we were taken uh, like um, backstage I guess and then um, I remember we were just walking after her and I remember just seeing like security guys and at a certain point I see Robert Trujillo just standing there and I was like Jesus Christ. and then we went into like a <laughs> like a white room and just hung out and they had some some beer and then uh Lars came by and we just hang out and 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 chatted which was re- like extremely surrealistic uh, yeah and then we, then we watched the show and our uh our drummer got <laughs> got really drunk and hijacked <laughs> their their stereo uh, backstage <laughs> So their bartender got got really pissed off because uh, <laughs> Olaf put on clutch and shit, <laughs> and then he tripped in the wire. So the speaker was like boom, and it was Ooh. silent, and, and everyone on that backstage was turned. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh fucking Christ!" It's <laughs> <laughs> like a scene from a movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. Freaking, it was oh, so hilarious. But what's fun about it? Because when we uh, ended up touring with them, first day we came there. And they were like, yeah, we have a bar. And we were like, yeah, it's the same bartender. <laughs> but he didn't, re- he didn't, he didn't, uh, yeah, didn't re- connect yeah. the dots from back no, before. Yeah. No, no, he didn't. But Ola was like, oh, shit. And then, <laughs> like, we became friends with him. So, like, I don't know, halfway during the tour, we were like, you remember when, when you guys played in Oslo, the guy <laughs> with the stereo? And he's like, oh, fucking Christ, it was you. <laughs> so, <laughs> hilarious <laughs> luckily you let him uh warm up to you this time first before you let yeah, him yeah. go <laughs> that's great um so uh, yeah uh the tour obviously um you know so they invite you out to the street and again it's what's so amazing to me about this story is that each step of the way it would already be enough you know what i mean like i'm yeah. sure you came home from that show in oslo and you're like awesome he yeah, likes we band. He played it on the show. We came. We got to meet him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, from there, uh, what, what's the what's the next sort of moment in that story? Um, well, I, I remembered because we talked about that afterwards. Because he said he said to us when we were hanging out backstage, he said we should we should play a show sometime, you know. <laughs> Uh, and we were like yeah <laughs> but we, we kind of just like because over the years a lot of bands have said that of course yeah it's, it's, it's something people just say which isn't, you know? which isn't to say that bands don't even mean it but it's just like yeah there's so many things yeah. that have to yeah. align for it to work yeah yeah so we kind of we we don't really like we don't get our hopes up you know yeah um and and then some months go by and we didn't think much of it uh, you know think much about it uh, we had like He's, he said he, he dug our record. We were his favorite new band. We got to meet him. We got to see Metallica. We had, you know, we had we had a fucking great 2018. And, and we, we weren't really thinking that anything more was going to happen. And then um, it was the World Cup. And me and Olav had been, uh, had been uh, on like a, like a public viewing outside drinking beers and watching football. Um, and then I was just walking home. Uh, probably the end of June. And then uh, the phone rang. And I don't know about you, but I never answer when it's like a long foreign number. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, so that's a scam call. So, so I yeah. just, you know, uh, hung up. Yeah. Uh, and then I got a text and it was like, hey, this is Tony 
um, from Metallica and like a long uh, text and if I could call him uh, which I did <laughs> and then uh, yeah I basically apologized there so I, I thought you were like a scam caller or something like that and we sat in the living room uh, I sat in the living room he, he was in New York or San Francisco I don't remember but basically there and then he he offered us the gigs uh, and then uh, I, I hung up and then I called the other guys on like FaceTime. And I remember Olaf told me afterwards, it was like, he was thinking, why the fuck is he calling a FaceTime? He's never done that before. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with this he's guy? Like, he's like, who died? What's going on? <laughs> is there yeah. some and emergency? Like, yeah. Is there anybody around? Is there anybody around you? I was like, no. I was like, okay. Okay, listen to this. And with them, uh, we were like, what the fuck? And then we had a party at my, at my flat. <laughs> <laughs> like a pizza party and drank. <laughs> yeah that's so great dude um so you know going out into a situation like that i mean obviously you know like you said you guys had been doing a lot of the bigger european festivals at that point and and so on uh but no no no, no not not european uh norwegian oh, oh norwegian oh okay so you, so yeah um we had just done two gigs outside Norway. I think. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. that. Wow. <laughs> so this is huge on a number of levels. Yeah. <laughs> like every possible level. Yeah, because I was trying to book like a European tour through like, you know, uh, punk venues and stuff, but they never yeah. responded. So we had like, we had one gig in Sweden and in 2018 we got one well, gig in London. So that was our, wow. that was our, and we also got one in Budapest. Uh, that never happened because you know we got the stock offer. Uh, and did you know uh, at that point in that initial phone call who the other support band was? Uh, no, no, we didn't actually uh, know that much. Just that they were doing like a, a tour of UK, Europe, and Russia. And like he said, we would love if you guys would come with us. Yeah, and we were like. Yeah, so so it was actually like probably a month or two later that we 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 heard that Ghost was also on it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it just keeps getting better. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Just touring with just Ghost would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I would. <laughs> oh, but they're just, they're just like sort of the bonus of what's happening. Yeah, um, yeah, and there was I, I pulled this up uh, earlier, but. Um, this interview with Lars and Kerrang um, just before the show. Uh, and he was talking about your band and he said, they're just incredibly fucking good. The songs they write, their whole energy and vibe is such a breath of fresh air. When I heard their music a year ago, they blew my head off. Getting a chance to introduce them to a wider audience is going to be super cool. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that couldn't have been better if you wrote it for him. <laughs> no. <laughs> That was a fucking great quote. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just it's like giving me uh, goosebumps vicariously. Um, and all well-deserved. I mean, you guys are a great band. It's not, you know, he has good taste. It's not like he's puffing up, you know, some BS. And that, that's one of the things I appreciate about his passion too, is that they're at a level where they don't have to make calculated decisions about support because there's like a, mm. you know, there's a business to that and you're, putting a tour package together and you're trying to figure who's got a record out and who's got a single happening and whose label can contribute marketing and who's, you know, you know, it's like a whole thing when you're putting it together and Metallica's at a size where they don't need an opener. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally just pick bands they like, you yeah. know, because they're good bands, um, which is cool. So um, that tour I think started in Portugal. Did you guys, did you guys start there or were you? Yeah. Yeah, in, in Lisboa, uh, Lisboa and, and Portugal. Yeah, so that was the first show. So that's your first show in Portugal. Period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So what is that like? That you know, going from uh, more sort of on the ground gigs that most you know, ninety nine out of a hundred bands uh, are used to, to going into that huge environment and you know the machine that that is a, a show of that size. Um, what was that like? you know just getting sort of integrated into that whole process uh well uh, do, do you want like uh, me to answer from where we came 
from Lisboa or before how we planned it or something like uh, that? Yeah, bo both actually. I'm just curious, you know, how you sort of scale to, because obviously you're used to lugging your own gear around and setting up and, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. just the, the logistical side of being a band. And then now you're, now you're part of this huge machine, uh, but at the same time, uh, you're in it, but not of it, if that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just curious what, what, what that's like as, um, uh, yeah, yeah. That uh, situation. I, I like for for many months because uh, I think they went public in in September 2018, and uh, we didn't actually know that much uh, except for dates, you know, because nobody really to told us anything, and we didn't have a manager or something like that. <laughs> I was gonna say so, you're getting so, these calls yourself, so I assume there wasn't really a team. <laughs> no, no, we didn't have you. label or nothing. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Uh, so, uh, so we were like, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, but then we were like, yeah, we'll probably get some more info. Uh, so we just waited out a bit. And, and that, at a certain point, we actually got a manager because we started to realize that, you know, this is not just like, you know, renting a, a Volvo for a weekend. Yeah. And, you know, because then, uh, yeah, because our sound guy, uh, which we accidentally gotten like, I don't know, probably like four gigs before we heard about Metallica stuff. And uh, he, he was like, he, he was much more uh, professional than us. So he was like, what about monitors and stuff like that? And um, and did some research there. And, and we found out that we had to like bring our own microphones and equipment and monitors if we wanted to. So that, uh, and we'll, we couldn't afford any monitors and sure as hell couldn't have like another car for him. So we bought yeah. like in airs for the first time. So I remember then we like um, this, uh, I think it's a 500 cap capacity uh, club in, in Trondheim. They said, you guys can rehearse on the floor to maybe, you know, give you a feeling about how it, it, it may be there. So we yeah. did. So we had like pre-production there with the in airs um, in beforehand. And then we had like, cause we were, we were um, six people traveling. Uh, it's like uh, our sound guy, the three in the band, a buddy of ours, um, who like we, we we trained him to tune guitars, uh, and then we had like uh, a guy called Mick Gaffney, who's like pretty much a professional tour manager, uh, and uh, and also like a drummer for Last Resort, and he was it was us, and then. You know, we went, we went there, and we thought like, okay, we got the in-airs and our own microphones. So, nah, yeah, we're, we're ready. And I remember uh, when we flew into Lisboa, uh, you could see the stadium from the air in the plane. Because I remember, I think it was oh, wow. the sound guy was like, yeah, it's <laughs> like you can see it, you can see it there. Uh, so, so that was <laughs> really cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> It's insane. Oh, that's where we're playing. I can see it from here. Yeah. <laughs> that's so insane. Well, I love that you took such a, you know, you did pre-production. That's a great idea to to uh, to rehearse on the floor of a venue. And I wish more bands would take a page from your book in, in the sense that you don't need to hire a manager, a tour manager, a booking agent, or any of these people until you're at a stage where it's essential, where it's become too much for you to manage and yeah. where you need some folks who maybe have the relationships, the tenacity, the work ethic and, and whatnot to follow up and look into things and figure out like, what do you guys need to bring and, and what can you afford and how does that all, you know, I think a lot of bands are so anxious to get going that there's that impulse right out of the gate of like, we got to get a manager, we got to get a record deal, we got to get the, and it's like, well, build something for them to manage first, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know and, and do as much as you can by yourselves as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't, you know, don't get in a position where you're giving up a percentage of your revenue until it's a place where that person is the money that you're paying to a manager or a booking agent is coming back to you in, in the amount that they're, you know what I mean? Like, and, mm -hmm. and, and then some like, that it's evening out and they're bringing you more just in terms of, of time. Cause now you have time to focus on other things. I don't know. That's just my philosophy. I see a lot of bands yeah, no, no, kind of I rushing I completely those agree. things. 
uh, we didn't uh, we didn't really want a manager. We just at a certain point, you know, we realized that you know none of us has has done a big tour, uh, like not even compared to that size. You know, we don't have a clue what we're doing. We need yeah, we need someone. You have enough uh, to can. think about without having to advance the shows, also, and <laughs> yeah, because because we're really nervous about the shows. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, and then uh, to, to get someone in who actually knows, like, okay, so you should probably get like a a sprinter or like a, a van with sleeping beds, and and uh, you need that and that and that and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, that was really helpful because we were like, you know, we. We didn't know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, I only have the contact info for Lars, you know, and I, right. I don't think he does the like pre-production. No. You know, like, that's not normally the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, how much? How long is our set time tonight? <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so, I know that they, uh, the way that they tour, you know, they, they tend to make kind of a home base whether it's Paris or whatever, and they, and they fly back and forth each show and, and they're at a level where they can do that. And that is obviously comfortable for them. But I also have heard from, uh, you know, other bands who have been on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I just talked to Dino from Fear Factory and they toured with them in 2010. And and uh, the Lamb of God guys have told me, this. a lot of guys have told me over the years that the band does make an effort to do like a dinner with the bands at some point yeah. or, or uh, so, so yeah. So what was... Uh, what was that experience like for you guys? Was there kind of a, a get to know you event at some point during? during yeah, the they, tour? they had, I think they had like five or six dinners or something yeah, like that. Cool. Wow. Uh, and it was, it was always really great. You know, at the start, we were like feeling like the odd man out, you know, uh, sure. like, <laughs> yeah. But then afterwards, you know, uh, you get to know them and that was really fun. It was like, uh, they just kind of basically just rent out a restaurant and and it's the Metallica guys and their team, I guess. And they invited us three from the band and uh, and ghosts were there also. So it's like pretty much there and they're friends. So it's you just like hang out and eat and, and drink. I thought it was great. You know? Yeah. yeah. And it's such a cool idea. And it honestly seems better, a little more relaxed even than the traditional you know, back in the day of like, oh, we're all going to go out partying and go here and, you know, barely make yeah. it to our bus call on time. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very much, it's a much more sort of responsible adult relaxed way of, of getting that same camaraderie and, and uh, vibes and stuff. Yeah. So what's that audience like? Uh, Cause you know, we hear Maiden Slayer, like there's certain bands that are dream tours in the sense that it's like, these guys are legends and blah 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 but are also difficult tours because you know the audience is chanting slayer or maiden the whole time the, yeah, the opening yeah, band yeah. it's playing no matter who the opening band is um i think the metallic audience is generally more open-minded a little more forgiving in that sense but what was your experience like going out in front of those crowds as, as someone that's unknown to the majority of the people there uh, we've actually we've actually heard that about Maiden because uh, after we got the gig, uh, we got ourselves a booking agent, and and she talked about like support bands she had had with Maiden, and their fans of Iron Maiden had uh, like flipped them off the whole show and shit, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so we were like, oh, it's gonna be a tough one, but but actually, they weren't like that at all. So I, I don't think they necessarily like. Some people probably enjoyed us being there, but other people were just drinking beer and waiting for Metallica. But there were there were never like anything close to to what we've heard the Maiden audience do. Though. Yeah. So it's like yeah, yeah, it was pretty nice, and a lot of them, not not a lot of them. That's wrong because like a small small percentage of the people we played uh, for uh, came to see us when we did our own European later that year. Yeah. Nice. Well, so, and so it's we important to note though that it's, that it's a small percentage of a large group, so that's still a yeah. lot of people. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody somebody might tell me they're only going to give me you know one percent of their fortune, but if their fortune is a hundred million dollars, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So, so that's great. Yeah. I, I think part of that owes a lot to how well the fans know this band or feel that they know this band and, and the understanding that the opening bands are there because someone or everyone in Metallica likes them and chose them to be there and wants to put them in front of their audience, which isn't always the case or even always the understanding with an audience um, with other bands for better or worse. So I think that that, that really helps, I think with the open-mindedness and people being receptive to, you know, I mean, they've, they've had stand-up comedians open for them in recent years, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and that can't be an easy gig as a stand-up comic to go out in front of the Metallica crowd. But again, I think there's an understanding of like, well, Metallica must like this person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, it helped a lot, you know, that, you know, we were, you know, you know, championed on by Lars, you know, so a lot of the diehards, you know, knew that and then checked us out beforehand, you know, so, so at least, you know, I can tell what's going on at the end of the stadium, but in the front in the snake pit and golden circle and stuff like that, those diehards, they knew us uh, like, and they seemed to like it, you know, maybe they were just polite. I don't know, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they're not that polite. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, that, that tour, I, yeah, I know it started in Portugal. I think it ended in Germany. Um, yeah. Did you, and again, something a lot of folks who don't, who haven't been on tour, let alone a tour of that size, you don't necessarily have an opportunity to watch the other bands because you're busy doing all the stuff you need to do before and after. But um, did you get some opportunities to, to see, you know, parts of their set? And... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I, like uh, we were uh, with them for 25 gigs i think i probably saw like uh, parts of 19 or 20 gigs oh, wow. like wow wow yeah. that's unusual <laughs> yeah that's awesome because we had like they, they had like uh, uh usually between two one or two days between gigs because they have mm. to set up the stage and we usually did like a club um on the off days yeah but you we, we usually did, did like so if we were in Spain, we were playing Madrid, then we had the gig for ourselves in Sevilla. So we didn't have that long drive. So like after our yeah. show and we had like, uh, you know, um, um, <laughs> eaten dinner and, you know, fixed the equipment and stuff, then then we just, you know, uh, unless we were sometimes, you know, when we were going from like, I think Copenhagen to Helsinki was like a 17, 18 hour drive. You know, we had to go right after the show and the same yeah. with Ireland. But usually we just like relaxed and went out, out and and you know had beers and watched Metallica. So it's yeah. so pretty pretty great. <laughs> so coming from the load reload era, and I'm thinking about you know 2019 Metallica, they were doing a, a lot of hardwired, which uh, thankfully that's a really really great record. So that doesn't bother me seeing them. Um, but I don't know that there was much load reload happening in the set at that point. Fuel, no, obviously. no, there wasn't. But I uh, think fuel actually, might have even been it, right? Yeah, uh, they had memory remains. Mm, uh, oh sure. And yeah. um, and I remember actually, I we I, we were talking to Lars, and I said that like I'm a reload guy, and I was like, uh, I was like, you guys got to play fixer. But he was like, no, no, that's gonna happen. <laughs> He always um, remember that because he always said like, "Oh, you're the fixer guy." You know, like, that's awesome yeah. though. I I I love that 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 someone put that in his ear. You know. Yeah, yeah it's a fucking great. So, but I did play yeah. and and uh, and because uh, they had like I think they had two set lists which they switched uh-huh. and one of them had like No Leaf Clover which is a fucking great song. So yeah. I remember the n- night they started that I was like, "Oh shit, it's No Leaf Clover" because we didn't know they were gonna play that. Yeah, uh, and that was that was great. Yeah, and that song counts as load reload for sure. Those those two songs are from those sessions, and yeah, 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 for sure. Um, And it's funny uh, because this reminds me uh, something that David Ellison told me and and, and talked about on the podcast. Lars is the same way. He talked about Lars coming to see Megadeth and saying, uh, "You guys never play Hook and Mouth anymore." That's my favorite (laughs) Megadeth song. Hook and Mouth, and and they actually like, you know ahead of the show we're like i guess we gotta relearn hook and mouth because yeah let's play it tonight for lars um so you know he yeah that that's again it comes back full to, full circle to that whole thing of like they're one of us you know like they think the same way yeah. we do about yeah, um, yeah. 
bands that they like and things like that. So, so cool, man. Um, well, before we wrap up, uh, two more things I want to ask you. I want to ask you uh, what's coming up for you guys now, especially as things look like they're starting to kind of open up. And uh, and then the second is I'm going to ask you for your, your top five Metallica songs. Um, oh, so, shit. Okay. Yeah. But, but let's see. Yeah, I'll give you a little advance warning. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, what's, what's coming up for the band? What are you, what's happening right now? Uh, well, well, right now we just uh, announced the tour for, um, for this fall in Europe, UK and Norway. And uh, we released a new single um, from our upcoming, oh, can I do that again? I'm not allowed to, t- it's, it's just. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and, 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 just... and also this probably won't drop for a couple of weeks if that makes a difference. No, no, it's, it's just a strange thing because like the album is ready and we've done interviews in Norway about the album, but our label, they're like, no. Don't don't tell anyone about it. Okay. <laughs> and we were like, but it's already in the media. But they were like, just Norwegian media doesn't. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, so okay, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, I'll I'll trap that up. You can start. I, I can do it again, and I, I, yeah. I will say it in a more smooth way. Um, so what's coming up for you guys? Uh, the rest of 2021. I almost said 2020. <laughs> 2020 yeah. was like 10 years long. Uh, yeah, it was. But, but yeah, what, what's on the horizon now that things are opening up? Well, we just uh, we just announced a, a new tour uh, for Europe, UK, and uh, Norway this fall, and we released a new single out on Napalm Records, uh, "So Long Idiots." And and we actually just uh, today announced the download again because you know you know we had like shitloads of festivals last year. Yeah. Um, and you know none of them happened, so yeah. it's. Uh, it was supposed to happen this summer, but that's not going to happen. So it, it looks like we'll be, they're keeping us next year. So that's cool. Um, yeah. And Kiss. And we also, yeah, and Kiss. Yeah, Kiss is on download, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, the Descendants uh, was added, which Rad. I thought was fucking awesome. Rad. And, you know, they have Deftones. It's like, I've never been there, but people who talk about it, it's like, it's 80,000. And it's, it's probably. Oh, downloads. Great. Amazing. I've, I, I've actually uh, been there. And Metallica played when I was there. It was uh, 2006, I believe. Well, what, was that when they had lots of different drummers? Oh, uh, no. That, and I wish I would have seen that show just because that was crazy. But uh, no, but they were doing the Master of Puppets. I guess it would have been the 20th oh, yeah. anniversary. So they were playing puppets from start to finish in the middle of their awesome. set. And uh, yeah, it was it was so killer. And they had a big projection of cliff up on the screen when they when they started orion and i'd never seen orion live um and uh you know that started making its way back into the set around that time um but yeah that was uh i think tool played that year also it was a really good really good lineup i was there with a band called throwdown that i uh, work with as a manager we played download that year so we were i went over with them Uh, we our, our big complaint was that throwdown played the snickers stage and none of us saw a single snickers candy bar the entire the whole trip over we're like we're gonna eat so many snickers that was like the joke and then and then there weren't any <laughs> snickers logos everywhere no candy bars uh, that's just bad advertising they should yeah, have a snickers guy there like it should, just, they, it should have been raining snickers in the snickers yeah, tent yeah. for sure uh, so that's killer i'm glad you guys are, are getting to do that and yeah I, I didn't notice the descendants on there but i did notice that the the lineup was slightly different from when it was announced when it was supposed yeah. to happen the first time, but uh, that's cool. That's yeah, I'm also looking forward to see Deftones for the first time. They were on there. I never seen them. Love Deftones, so that would be great. Yeah, Brad, very cool. It was uh, as we're as we're recording this episode. It was Ace Frehley's seventieth birthday yesterday. Oh, um, so right around that time of that uh, new announcement of what might be the last kiss i don't know if they're are they advertising that as the last kiss uk show no uh i don't remember the poster but i don't think it stood stood there so i'm still but you never know with kiss though do you right no i'm still i'm still (laughs) i'm still fingers crossed that we'll get at least one you know just come out for a few songs ace like (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, like Stephen Adler and Gunson. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and we could do a whole podcast about Guns N' Roses. I'm also, I'm also a big Guns Guns fan. Uh, top five Metallica songs. All right. Uh, Fixers in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah Fixers number one, I think. Um, just give me a little there. I'll yeah. give you. Take your time. It's a big question. Yeah, it is, man. Because, you know, I wanted to. I got three, though. I got three. Right. Sometimes I do dream Metallica set list, but then that keeps us going for another 30 minutes. <laughs> 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 and then you end up creating like a nine hour set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Oh, okay, I got I got the um, I, I'm missing one. What am I going for? Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> I'm trying to do, diversify it a bit so it, it isn't all uh, from reload. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got them. Hit me. All right. Okay. You want like five? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, you want to go like reverse order for the, the suspense? Even though I guess we already know number one. Yeah, we know number one. <laughs> <laughs> A countdown. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I got the order. All right. And okay. It's probably going to piss piss off a lot of diehards. But That's I what's fun like about doing this. My, on the top of my head, um, these are my five favorites. Uh, number five, battery. Um, Excellent. Number four. Unforgiven 2, the best Unforgiven. Yes. Bold. I like it. Actually, number three, it's from Hardwired, Spit Out the Bone. That's a fucking great song. Nice. Hardwired has so many great songs that that's like, I kind of forget about that one. (laughs) But that song is also great. He got this like awesome uh, uh, like hook in the verse and his vocals. Uh, So uh, I feel like it's Trash Metal (laughs) 2.0. Yeah. I love that the the sort of some of the vocal harmonies and the I feel like some of the black album load reload stuff came back into hardwired while hardwired also has a lot of the 80s like it just it feels like just a great summary of all the different shades of Metallica in that yeah record. yeah yeah that's let's love it so uh, absolutely okay. so uh batteries number five unforgiven two amazing number four spit out the bone number three and then number two no leaf clover wow yeah dude yeah. i love it i love it i love it i love the controversy um <laughs> like we talked about that song earlier i love that song um yeah it's a great song and and the, the way it's done like reversed with like the choruses are the clean guitars and yeah you know the dan walker's uh oh, fucking love it yeah that's it and it's such a dark song like it's so mm. just yeah it's on rules um you know and that's the thing is like some Metallica songs have like 57 songs in them. And that's kind of what's exciting about it. But then by the same turn, those little mini songs within a song are so good that some of the load reload stuff, I think is an example of like, you know, that song is a perfect example. Obviously inner Sandman is the blueprint, but like that song's a perfect example where they're like, what if we just take one or two things and just ride it, mm-hmm. you know, instead mm-hmm. of constantly jumping from, different ideas to different ideas and they're really good at that too i love unforgiven too uh and that that's another thing where people just you know i celebrate the whole trilogy (laughs) and (laughs) some fans i think just you know dismiss two and three outright just for their mere existence like there's something about you hear sequel and you think it's immediately lesser than to which i say aliens empire strikes back Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Rambo, um, <laughs> there's you know, uh, Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, yeah, man. there's a, there's a long like list. Mad Max, where the, where the new, yeah, one is the best, absolutely, know? absolutely. And Road Warriors better than the first Mad Max, uh, so yeah, yeah it, it you know, I'm with you, man. Um, it I got that know. country twang to it too, uh, like you oh. know, uh, and that telecaster and uh. Yeah, no, I, I it's, isn't that, it crazy it's seeing him play the Telecaster in the video? Because it's just you're yeah. just so not used to, yeah, yeah. Um, and I love how it really is a, a true sequel because thematically it really picks up on the threads of the first yeah. song. 
And um, I love Unforgiven 3. I was super psyched at the, uh, I, I got to go to one of the SNM 2 tapings and nice. when they started Unforgiven 3 and, and they did it as just the orchestra and James. Um, oh, it was incredible. But yeah, I, I celebrate the whole trilogy. I don't know actually, I, I respect the boldness of declaring it the best. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to think about it and get back to you because I don't know which of the three I actually think is the best because I do I love all three. I love all three. Uh, two probably has the most, and maybe it's the twang. It is probably the catchiest. If yeah, it's hard to call twang. any of those songs optimistic, but it's like if yeah the yeah one I'm thinking of the verses too. You know, lay beside me. You know, it's like it's kind of a. Yeah, it's hard. You can't call it uplifting, but it's it's a little brighter, I guess, than the other two. Yeah, it's um, got a like a sad country song uh, yeah. fused with like some southern rock and metal. Yeah, so, yeah for me, it's a uh, fucking great song. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. I think it, I think our drummer yeah. probably uh, disagree with my whole list, except maybe battery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more of a traditionalist one might say <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah that's good that's a good push and pull to have within a band you've got you know james extolling the virtues of nick cave and aerosmith and then lars you know championing oasis and then you end up with metallica so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want that within a band you know some complementary differences yeah uh well this has been great man this is exactly what i was uh, you know, set out to do a few years ago and even starting this podcast is having the kind of conversations where someone from a band as great and respected as yours comes on the podcast and champions Unforgiven 2. That's <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> mission accomplished right there. <laughs> awesome. Huh? Yeah, so, happy to help. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, well, cool. Well, thanks so much for, for doing this and thanks for circling back around. I really appreciated that. And um, yeah, uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime and and hopefully even more so, you know, things get back to normal and love to come see you guys live. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that, that crazy awesome. idea. <laughs> yeah. So. Awesome, man. We'll, we'll push it on the, on the, the channel. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, yeah. It's a great chat. Yeah. A lot of fun. 